Welcome back once again to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg, ranting at you in the wee hours of May 26th, 2023, as always, from my apartment on Manhattan's Lower East Side. And I am really full of angst tonight. You may recall that in last week's podcast, or rant, <laughs> I again called out the dishonest, ultra-cynical Russian propaganda attempting to portray Ukraine as a Nazi state, as it is Russia that is escalating to Hitlerian levels of evil, and in fact an increasingly Nazi-like state accusing the democracy it is attempting to destroy of being a, a Nazi state, is itself a Nazi tactic. It's kind of the logical conclusion of the so-called big lie technique attributed to Hitler's propaganda minister, Joseph Goebbels, that a big lie is paradoxically more readily believed than a small one. So if you're going to lie, don't hold back. Knock yourself out. So here we are today, and it plays out like this. See, since World War II, we're all supposed to agree that fascism is bad. So the fascists say, we're not fascist. It's the anti-fascists who are fascist. Fascist pseudo-anti-fascism. Utterly sinister. And in that rant, I referred to the, quote, stupid distraction of Ukrainian Nazis, unquote. And unfortunately, events have transpired this week that make the question of Ukrainian or Ukrainian-supported Nazis much less of a stupid distraction. Now, the tankies are using the question, exploiting it, as a stupid distraction. They definitely are making loads of transparently bogus accusations against the Ukrainians and strangely seeing no taint of fascism at all on the Russian side. But in light of this week's events, the question does demand renewed, honest scrutiny. Now, when word broke this Monday, May 22nd, of an incursion into Russia by anti-Putin armed partisans, I was really happy, and I was really hoping that it was liberals broadly defined, or dare we hope, maybe even democratic socialists, or dare we hope, anarchists. But now, after examining who the players were in this episode a little more closely, I have very deep misgivings. There are some very bad facts, so to speak, for those of us who support the Ukrainian cause. So I'm going to read what I wrote up for the Counter Vortex Daily Report earlier this week. What is the Freedom of Russia Legion? Some 100 fighters in armored vehicles crossed into Russia from Ukrainian territory May 22nd, 
and seized the town of Kozinka in Belgorod Oblast. They were only driven out after Russian forces responded with fighter planes and artillery. And Moscow says its troops are still mopping up saboteurs, quote-unquote. Two groups claimed responsibility for the raid. Both said to be made up of Russians who were fighting for Ukraine. One is the self-proclaimed Freedom of Russia Legion, which released a video message to coincide with the attack, calling on Russians to take up arms to put an end to the Kremlin's dictatorship, quote-unquote. The other is the Russian Volunteer Corps, or RDK, characterized as far-right nationalists, although this does raise the question of why they're fighting for Ukraine. The Anti-Defamation League website identifies the RDK's leader, Denis Kapuzin, a.k.a. Denis Nikitin, as a Russian neo-Nazi, quote-unquote, with ties to Ukraine's Azov Battalion. Social media posts are identifying other right-wing militants apparently fighting in the RDK. One is Alexei Levkin of the rock band M8L8TH, which is said to be some kind of code for the words Hitler's Hammer. He's also a key organizer of the annual National Socialist Black Metal Festival in Kiev. <coughs> Who knew? And a leading personality behind Votan Jugend, or Votan Youth, a social media platform for Russian neo-Nazis, although its name is German. And the Freedom of Russia Legion appears to also have far-right connections. An account in The Guardian newspaper, identifies its leader as Maximilian Andronikov, apparently a former member of the Russian Imperial Movement, RIM, which is fighting on the Russian side in Ukraine. Very curious. On the other hand, Deutsche Welle names another Legion leader, as the seemingly more liberal Ilya Ponomarev, a former member of the State Duma, who was the only Russian lawmaker to vote against the annexation of Crimea in 2014. So, good for him. He went into exile in 2016, presumably in Ukraine. Ponomarev acknowledges in an interview with France 24, that the Belgorod raid was a joint operation with the RDK. He also boasts that no member of their joint force was killed in the operation, and he boldly predicts, quote, at the end of the day, there will be just one outcome. Our guys will be in Moscow, and Putin will not be in the Kremlin. End quote. Ponomarev is challenged by the France 24 interviewer 
about his supposed ties to one National Republican Army, which has apparently claimed responsibility for the recent assassinations of pro-war blogger Vladlen Tatarsky and Moscow state media mouthpiece Daria Dugina, daughter of Russo-nationalist ideologue Alexander Dugin, asked if this constituted terrorism, as claimed by the Kremlin, Ponomarev responds, quote, no, we are conducting a counter-terrorist operation. The terrorist state is Russia, end quote. Noting that Vladimir Putin is wanted for war crimes by the International Criminal Court, Ponomarev openly stated, quote, we are attacking the key people of his regime, its key ideologists, its key propagandists, its key organizers, its key financiers, its key military officers, end quote. The RDK also claimed an early March armed incursion into Russia's Bryansk Oblast, also on the Ukrainian border. Russia's FSB security service initially blamed that attack on Ukrainian nationalists, quote-unquote. Kyiv, in turn, accused Russia of staging a fake provocation, quote-unquote. In the Belgorod raid, which just happened, Kyiv has merely denied involvement, but seemed to acknowledge the actors as legitimate. Presidential advisor Mikhailo Podolyak suggested that they are, quote, underground guerrilla groups composed of Russian citizens, end quote. The deputy chairman of Russia's Security Council, Dmitry Medvedev, also the former president, responded to the new incursion in his <coughs> inimitable way, telling the official TASS news agency that the rat bastards, quote-unquote, who had infiltrated Belgorod must be exterminated, quote-unquote. He also rejected Ukraine's denials, quote, whatever chatter you hear from Kiev about how sabotage attacks of this kind have nothing to do with them. It is all a lie, of course, an absolute lie. The responsibility lies with the Kiev regime, then ultimately with its sponsors across the ocean, i.e. Washington and the European Union countries, together with states like Britain and others. This is their direct and immediate responsibility, end quote. <clears throat> uh, just because I got to be me, I'm just going to interject that um, Medvedev should look at a map if he thinks that the European Union countries are across the ocean from Russia, <clears throat> which is actually what he said. Okay, whether U.S.-supplied weaponry was used in the Belgorod incursion has become a volatile question. Washington says it is investigating after images published on the Internet appeared to show U.S.-made Humvee and Max Pro vehicles supposedly abandoned by the incursion force. State Department Representative Matthew Miller said the U.S. is, quote, skeptical at this time of the veracity of these reports, which he said emerged from armchair intelligence analysts based on fuzzy pictures on social media, end quote. He added, quote, we do not encourage or enable strikes inside of Russia, and we've made that clear. But as we've also said, it's up to Ukraine to decide how to conduct this war, 
end quote. So, slightly equivocal. In another of his requisite nuclear threats, Medvedev, on May 23rd, warned that the more powerful the weapons the West supplies to Ukraine, the higher the risk of a nuclear apocalypse, quote-unquote. This is obviously a reference to Washington's recent decision to allow its Western allies to supply Ukraine with U.S.-made fighter jets, including F-16s. The U.S. will also train Kyiv's pilots to use the warplanes. And these developments come amid further unsettling signs of internal opposition to Putin from the right. Immediately after his claim of victory in capturing the devastated Ukrainian city of Bakhmut, paramilitary Wagner Group leader Yevgeny Prigozhin warned that Putin's war could backfire and lead to the destabilization of Russia. In an interview with the uh, pro-war blogger and political operative Konstantin Dalgov, Prigozhin said, quote, We are in a situation where we can simply lose Russia. We must introduce martial law. We, unfortunately, must announce new waves of mobilization. We must put everyone who is capable to work on increasing the production of ammunition. Russia needs to live like North Korea for a few years, so to say, close the borders and work hard, end quote. So, that's fucking grim. Okay, some commentary. First, the most appealing figure among the partisan leaders at Belgorod, this Ponomarev, says, quote, our boys are going to take Moscow. Well, who are our boys or your boys, Ponomarev? Now, I've acknowledged repeatedly that the desperate sometimes have to take allies where they can find them. But we also have to face the implications of what appears to be a liberal fascist alliance here, if hopefully a merely tactical and temporary one. But if the our boys who oust Putin include neo-Nazis, well, that could wind up just being a lateral move at best. I also, again, have questions about the seeming contradiction of Russian ultranationalists fighting against Russia in Ukraine, as opposed to thinking that Putin is too weak and not being aggressive enough in the persecution of the war, which is Prigozhin's position. Unless there's some really atavistic streak in their thinking that looks to Kiev rather than Moscow, because the medieval Kievan Rus was the predecessor state of both Russia and Ukraine. Uh, that might have something to do with it, but I'm really not sure I get it. It goes without saying that this affair plays right into the Kremlin's propaganda that Ukraine is a Nazi state. I haven't had the stomach to look at their websites, but I'm sure the tankies, Grey Zone, etc., are having a field day with this. 
So how do we read all this? If this Ponomarev is a liberal in the broad sense of wanting to see a democratic transition in Russia and has made an alliance with the RDK and Zelensky or Kirillo Budinev, his intelligence chief, made an alliance with both of them on the basis of political or military expediency, well, they're playing a very dangerous game. I mean, I feel a little self-conscious making this criticism from the safety of the Lower East Side, but we can't close our eyes to the dangers here, one of which is the war deteriorating into an inter-fascist contest, such as we saw in the Chetnik versus Ustashe horror show in Yugoslavia, both in the 1940s and in the 1990s, with reactionary ultranationalist forces on both the Serbian and Croatian side opposing each other. Now, I note that there have been reports of armed partisan resistance emerging in Belarus for several months now, sabotaging the rail lines into Ukraine to slow the movement of war material and so on, and there has been no indication that their politics are anything other than pro-democracy. And I will note again that there are left-wing and anti-fascist brigades fighting for Ukraine, including some Russians. Again, just to try to end on a note of hope, a news blurb from about a month ago, April 30th. A note of hope politically, although the story concerns a martyr. Russian anarchist dies for Ukraine. A founding member of a Russian anarchist group responsible for sabotage attacks on military facilities within Russia has died fighting for Ukraine. The group said Dmitry Petrov was killed fighting near Bakhmut, according to an April 19th statement from the Combat Organization of Anarcho-Communists, BOAK, B-O-A-K. Petrov, who had previously fought for the Kurdish forces in Syria, was part of an anti-authoritarian platoon integrated into Ukraine's territorial defense forces. In a farewell note, written in case of his death and published by BOAK, Petrov stated, quote, I tried my best to contribute to defeating the dictatorship and to the social revolution. I am proud of my comrades who led and are leading the struggle in Russia and abroad. End quote. Dmitry Petrov, presente. This has been Bill Weinberg with the Counter Vortex. Check us out online at countervortex.org. Please support us on Patreon. Once again, we have happily now reached our minimum and very modest goal of $100 per podcast. So a big thank you to our new subscribers. I appeal to you, dear listener, please join them. These rants, as you may have noticed, require lots of research. Research requires time. And time is money.
So please help us stay afloat with just one-seventh of the federal minimum hourly wage per week. <laughs> Thank you. Join the counter vortex, join the resistance, and rant on you next time.